The TNT Shop has great gift ideas for your furry family member. And we don't mean your Aunt Dolores. You stink! The TNT Shop has it all at tntradio.live. Where the story goes, we follow Chris Smith on today's News Talk TNT Radio. All right. You know, we've been talking with Brian McWilliams on a Wednesday from LA about the number of people that have left California in the last few years. The exodus has got out of control. It's become a situation where everyone is quite happy just to get out of the West Coast and head to the East Coast. Now, maybe it's got a little bit to do with the way they were treated during COVID-19. You can kind of understand that. Well, now Sir Rod Stewart has decided to quit what he describes as toxic Los Angeles and return to the UK after three decades. The singer, 78, has listed his nine-bedroom, 12-bath villa in LA for $80 million as he prepares to move back home. It comes just months after insiders were reported to have said he had grown tired of the culture in Hollywood and felt he had no privacy. It is said that he also chose to return to Britain to support his wife, Penny Lancaster, and their sons, who no longer wish to deal with the nuisance of going back and forth. Apparently, Penny loves the life she has made away from America and away from LA. She enjoys nothing more than working for the police force. The 78-year-old originally listed his mansion for sale in June, but has now hiked the price up by $10 million in the relisting. I'd love to hear the first interview that Rod does and find out the real reason and whether it's similar to so many. That is, they don't want uh, an anti-crime governor. They don't want um, a governor that thinks, oh, that's okay, we'll just allow homelessness to flourish, we'll just allow those who decide to take drugs to deal privately and without interruption in alleys like it's happening in Philadelphia. We'll just allow that to go forward. We won't um, We won't chase them outside of supermarkets and shopping centres either, so we'll actually have to introduce a law that stops shop assistants defending themselves and defending their stores of theft. This is the kind of ridiculous, progressive, woke mantra that is engulfing California at the moment. And this is why so many people are leaving. We'll find out a little bit more when Rod Stewart no doubt does his next interview. And the question is asked, why are you really leaving? A couple of quick um, comments on our chat box, which has come through just as we were talking about initially teachers and about the teacher that decided to have that quiz that, uh, failed a young boy because he dared to say that men had penises and women were the only ones who could fall pregnant. How silly was he? Uh, There is a teacher in the UK, writes Chris, who's going to spend Christmas in jail because he refused to obey a court uh, to identify a a student by their stupid pronoun, they and them, because it went against his deeply held Christian beliefs. Good on him for standing up for his principles. I couldn't agree more. Slater says, fantastic interview with Patrick Moore. However, there is a more sinister reason for this massive lie being pushed on the population and brainwashing children, a cabal of totally evil, greedy billionaires who want to thin out the herd up to 7 billion people, all so that they can get, they can savour the earth 
for themselves. Uh, Tim says, Smithy, I like listening to Patrick Moore, but I believe in a young earth. I figure it's only about 4,500 years since Noah's flood. Like your guest, I also don't believe global warming BS. By the way, it is 38 degrees here in my avocado packing shed in Esk, which is, as I remember, just northwest of Brisbane, Esk. And Chris says, in reference to... Um, oh, oh, that's right. We were talking about Donald Trump and everyone saying that he was going to be a dictator that would change the constitution. And Chris is saying they are so scared of him exposing their crimes. There's probably a little bit of truth in that as well. This is TNT Radio. Connecting the dots, painting the bigger picture. They always have great conversation. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT Well, as you know, the right to protest in a democracy is fundamental to our rights as human beings. But laws introduced in some jurisdictions have diluted that right. A court has ruled parts of controversial protest laws introduced by the New South Wales Parliament last year are invalid after a legal challenge by two, quote, knitting nanas. Don't you love it? when ordinary, everyday people like knitting nanas have a victory. The ABC reports that the laws passed in April 2022 after a series of climate protests meant people could be fined $22,000 or jailed for two years for causing damage or disruption to a major facility, main roads or highways. But Helen Caveld and Dominique Jacobs, members of activist group the Knitting Nanners, don't you love it, launched a challenge in the New South Wales Supreme Court through the Environmental Defender's Office in October last year. Now, they were arguing that certain acts of the Roads Regulation uh, and Crimes Act were unconstitutional as they impermissibly burdened the implied freedom of political communication. Under the legislation, the laws applied when a person remained near major facilities, which the knitting nanas argued could impact on protests held close to areas such as a train station or Martin Place in Sydney, which is a common place for protests. Let's bring in award-winning libertarian Topher Field on this. Uh, Topher is one of Australia's leading and most recognised human rights activists. He's a winner of the Australian Libertarian of the Year Award in 2022, winner of the Australian Libertarian Activist of the Year in 2016, director of Battleground Melbourne. We'll talk about that award-winning documentary shortly, and host of the Aussie Wire News, author, of course, of upcoming book, Good People Break Bad News. Topher Field, welcome back to TNT Radio. Uh, thank you so much, Chris, for, uh, for having me. It's always a pleasure. Now, how good are these nanas? W- like, what did the judge think of their arguments, which just by the sound of it, when you sum it up the way that they put it to the court, mm. sounds entirely feasible and reasonable? Look, I agree with this decision, and this is this legislation is terrible legislation, and we uh, we tackled it as soon as it was as it became known to us here at the Aussie Wire. We had a, a special segment on this. My own experiences with state governments misusing legislation to try and suppress protest. Of course, I, I had two years worth of criminal charges held over my head under false incitement charges. The misuse of government power to try and suppress legitimate protest is a huge problem. Now, some people make the point that these climate protests that this legislation was in response to were genuinely disruptive, uh, and that is a problem. But we already have laws to deal with that. We already have laws to deal with people who, who are causing a public nuisance, people who are defacing public property, people who are engaging in vandalism or any of these sorts of things 
things. We have laws to deal with that already. What we don't need is to attach protests specifically and to have penalties of up to $22,000 just because they were protesting when they engaged in mischief. If they engage in mischief, deal with that and deal with that through the existing laws that we already have. Don't create special laws that target protest. I have a feeling that the reason that these laws were put in place is because the police, the New South Wales police, didn't have the guts to do what they are feasibly able to do and stop people from causing such a nuisance. Yeah, and we know from Victorian uh, history during the COVID era that the police were simply wanting simple, easy to enforce parameters. And that's why we ended up with such ridiculous draconian rules that we had in Victoria was quite literally because it just made it easy for the police to just move in and, and smash everybody. It seems like New South Wales police perhaps have the opposite problem where they're not willing to move in and actually deal with actual crimes where they're occurring. Yeah. When you have a protest and you have people who are passionate about a topic, you're going to have people that show up for the right reasons to engage in protest and make their, their voices heard. And we Within that group, almost inevitably, you're going to have some people that show up to cause trouble. Mm. And what we need, and honestly, as someone who's now engaged in years worth of anti-lockdown protests, what you as a protester want is for the troublemakers to get dealt with, because we didn't want them in our ranks any more no. than most of the climate protesters would want them in theirs. Now, there are some exceptions. There are obviously those people that are there to be a nuisance. They need to be dealt with, and it's in everyone's best interest that the police do that, but we should not be giving state governments more power to single out protest as some special kind of activity. Uh, that, in fact, is the opposite of what we should be doing. Yeah, not when laws are already in existence that can be used to get rid of the troublemakers. 100%. So what, what, what is the um, significance of what the Nanas have done? Do you think that this could change the way the state government deals with climate protests, say peak hour morning on top of the Sydney Harbour Bridge? Yeah, well, I hope so. I really do hope so, because nothing is more frustrating than having a small number of people just decide to become a massive, massive nuisance. And I talk about this in my book, Good People Break Bad Laws, which has has now launched, by the way. Uh, I talk about you know, the purpose of a protest is to win people over to your side. Mm. And with that objective in mind, the way in which you protest is crucially important. And these climate protesters, are their protests are completely backfiring. They are just upsetting people and putting offside the very people that they need to win over. So that's a matter of practicality. As a matter of legality, People should not be allowed to engage in activities that put other people at risk, i.e. having to get them down from dangerous places where they've deliberately placed themselves, or engage in activities that un unreasonably cause a nuisance to, to the reasonable expectation of the public to be able to use something like a, a bridge. Now, if you've got 100,000 people in your protest, roads are going to get blocked. It's just a matter of physics. You can't all cram onto the footpath. But if you've got 10 people or two people, as the case may be, going out of their way to shut down roads, that's an entirely different thing, and that needs to be dealt with as a public nuisance issue. Now, tell me, um, to exercise your democratic right right now, people right across Australia can actually lodge submissions to be part of this COVID-19 inquiry into what our response was like, right? Mm. Well, I believe we we may have run out the clock on that. There, there may be a day left or so. There'd be there'd be very little time left on that. The, right. the government wasn't keen to hear from the public, but I believe there may be about a day left. Okay. Does it matter anyway? Because as far as I'm concerned, the terms of reference don't include premiers. Uh, we can't actually look at why they locked everyone down anyway. I mm. don't think we're going to get to the uh, nub of the issues, are we? 
No, it does matter because you're absolutely right. We're not going to get to the heart of the issue. And the quality of the submissions and the number of the submissions and the contents of the submissions are going to be one of the easiest ways that we can demonstrate that this inquiry has not done its job. If the submissions are containing lots of issues that the inquiry doesn't touch and raising lots of points that the inquiry does not address, that's one of the easiest and fastest ways for, for people like myself and yourself in the media to be able to say, hey, this inquiry has not done its job and has not gone far enough. If there were no submissions, then the government would make the argument that there was no public interest and that would be not that would not be in the best interest of, of yourself myself or the general public so i've made a submission i posted that all over my social media platforms uh, at tofa field if you want to have a look scroll back a few days and you'll see that submission every single page of it i encourage people to make submissions i don't have to be time consuming or complex or convoluted but i think the sheer volume of submissions does send a message yeah it may send a message but what i want to know is who actually decided to lock down Victoria when it was locked down. Did it come out of Dan Andrews' office? Did it come out of the um, state health officer office? Or did it just fabricate from uh, a group of surveys that they took to try and work out whether they could get away with it or not? Look, Daniel Andrews ruled with an iron fist. Everyone was afraid of him. We can see now the atmosphere inside Spring Street in, in Victoria is is notably different. The members of the, the Labor Party seem happier. They're, they're talking happily in the hallways where they used to be very hushed and hiding almost away. Uh, there's been a real change of atmosphere since Daniel Andrews departed. He ruled with an iron fist. I personally, I don't know, but I cannot believe for a moment that somebody else would have turned around and told him to lock down. I, it is my personal opinion that that must have come from him. It is too radical a policy for anyone else to have risked upsetting yeah. him by proposing that to him. And it's my, my personal view that it came from him. Yeah. Okay. I want to take a quick break. We'll come back in just a couple of minutes. And I want to ask you about your documentary, Battleground Melbourne, and also about comments from Klaus Schwab about libertarians, those evil libertarians, all coming up next with Topher Field right here on TNT Radio. TNT Radio's Timothy Shea. The double standard is out there. It's so obvious. It's so frustrating. Eric Holder gets held in contempt of Congress for defying a congressional subpoena. Nothing happens. Obama's DOJ didn't pursue it. Steve Bannon and Peter Navarro defy a congressional subpoena. Joe Biden's DOJ criminally prosecutes them, criminally prosecutes them for defying a congressional subpoena. And now we've got congressional subpoenas of Hunter Biden and James Biden, the resident's brother. And guess what? Nothing's going to be done by Merrick Garland, Barack Obama, Joe Biden's DOJ. That's right. I said Barack Obama. Obama's the shadow president, but he's not the one pulling the strings. He wasn't pulling the strings in his own administration. You know, Valerie Jarrett was his minder. Where is the Iranian-born Valerie Jarrett these days? Haven't seen or heard much of her. It's because the Democrats are smart. Timothy Shea on today's News Talk TNT Radio. Affordable housing, we can build that. Sustainable housing, we can build that. At MIT Modular, we understand the importance of housing for all and the importance of design, cost, and functionality. Our goal is to meet the needs of our growing population by converting shipping containers to livable units. If you're like-minded and in a position to invest in something meaningful and life-changing, we want to hear from you. We are a team of professional architects, engineers, and financial and tax experts dedicated to offering unique solutions that provide a brighter future. Our Opportunity Zone Fund offers investors both real estate and operating business diversification, five-year tax deferral on capital gains, annual tax benefits, and ultimately tax-free appreciation potential. 
There are opportunity zones all over America. If you're interested in learning more about our services, need affordable housing, or want to participate in creating a new vision for tomorrow, give us a call in the U.S. on 385-985-5702 or read more at MITModular.com. MIT Modular. We can build that. Are we on the air? Am I on the air? You're on the air. On the air 24-7. Your news talk giant. TNT. We'll get to women's rights activist Sally Grover shortly on the program. Your documentary, Topher Field, Battleground Melbourne, uh, continues to be watched. What's been the international reaction to it? Mostly disbelief. It's it's quite an interesting one. I was just recently in London for the launch of the Alliance of Responsible Citizenship and uh, talking to a lot of people over there. Still, the vast majority of people have never heard of it. That's that's the unfortunate reality. Australia is a long way away from the rest of the world. And as much as they were shocked by what happened here, they're not falling all over themselves to watch a documentary about it. I'm obviously trying to change that. Right. But for the ones that do watch it, there is a sense of just complete disbelief. That they acknowledge that it's real, but they can't quite believe that it's real. It's And for many of them, they saw these images. They saw things like the arrest of Zoe Bueller. They saw things like the, the lady in red, Anna, being thrown to the ground and pepper sprayed in the face. They saw the rubber bullets being fired at the Shrine of Remembrance. They saw those things in real time as they happened. But then once you put it all together into an hour and 40 minute, you know, world-class documentary, and they sit there and they watch that timeline unfold, you know, in, in an hour and 40 minutes, they just, they're in disbelief. Yeah, it was rolled out almost to um, ease the pain. But you're right, once it's concertinaed, you see it all uh, warts and all. Mm. I, I Look, I look back on that period and I think to myself, um, he's going to be so unpopular when all of this rolls out. And that's proved to be right. For those yeah. who are not in Australia and may not be up with the with the pace here, he is a bloke who cannot join a golf club in Victoria without there being a huge ruckus. That's how much he is hated now. Mm. Now, he's also loved by a lot of people. This is this is the thing. He's extremely polarizing. And I talk about this again in the book, Good People Break Bad Laws. For those that went along with the program, anyone that didn't, you know, that they weren't self-employed, uh, they had, let's say, government money in some form or other, government employed, or they're on welfare or benefits, or they're already retired. So they weren't financially hurt by the lockdowns. No. They had this amazing opportunity to buy into this, this life-saving Save Grandma program that Daniel yeah. Andrews was offering. <laughs> and for them, they lived their best life. This was the yes. greatest sense of meaning and purpose they've ever had. And those people are still clinging on to that. But then for the people that were hurt or for the ones that weren't hurt, but at least have an understanding of human rights and an understanding of individual um, dignity and how violated that was, we will never forgive and we will never forget. This, it's just simply not, not something that's ever going to happen. So what you have is a, is a minority of people who absolutely love him, a minority of people who absolutely hate him and, and, and a significant majority in the middle who are somewhere in between. And the ones that hate him at the moment are certainly making their presence felt. He was he was verbaled at an event, at, a, at an art gallery event in Melbourne and uh, actually went home early because of uh, how he was verbaled by a uh, just an, an ordinary Melbourne mum. Uh, a recent video has emerged, and I don't condone this. This is a, a terrible thing to do, dangerous as well as just a very bad idea. Um, but he, uh, he was actually... Um, filmed by someone as he was using his phone whilst driving and the person was saying, should I run him off the road? So these are these are not things that I would condone or, or suggest anyone do, but it does show just the white hot anger that is felt towards him at the moment. Yeah, very true. You had something to say online during the week about that madman, WEF Chief Klaus Schwab. Um, 
who recently pointed to people like you and people like us here at TNT Radio as a danger to the world. Have a listen to what this clown had to say. You have this anti-system movement. What we are seeing is a revolution against the system. So fixing the present system is not enough. Now there is, of course, a anti-system which is called libertarianism, which means to tear down everything which creates some kind of influence of government into private lives. It's demantling the system. It's demantling the system, uh, yes, because the system stinks because it's run by clowns like this bloke, Topher. There's so many people that want to take the black pill and believe, oh, there's nothing you can do. The World Economic Forum has it all sorted out. The UN's got everything under control. The very fact that he feels the need to go on the attack yeah. tells us that we're having an effect. He's looking yeah. at what we're doing and he's saying, oh, crap, I'm, I might not be the one who wins here. I might not be the one who gets my way. I consider this to be one of the most encouraging things that's happened this year. Now, I said at the end of 2022 that this year, 2023, uh, would be the year when the pushback begins in earnest. That was the phrase that I used. Not that we would start winning this year, but it's when the pushback would really begin. Because 2020 is when I would say we came under attack. And it was just obvious we were under attack. It took a couple of years for us to figure out what was even happening. Who's the enemy? Who are we, who are we under attack from? Mm. Who are our allies? And what is this battleground now? What, what are the weapons of this new war that we've been thrust into? And how do we, how do we coordinate to fight that battle? And, and we did that over the following two years. And by the end of 2022, I said 2023 is when the pushback will begin in earnest. The fact that at the end of 2023, Klaus Schwab feels the need to go on the attack against libertarians, people who are speaking out against government overreach and the government abuse of power, tells us that indeed the pushback is on and he's feeling the heat. He is feeling the heat. What doesn't he understand about the word democracy, about people having the right to determine their fate, to determine a government, to determine the direction of a country. What doesn't he understand about that? Well, the World Economic Forum, I would describe it very, very simply. It is an anti-human apocalyptic death cult. And I don't believe I'm being, I'm exaggerating on any of those points. They are anti-human. They are apocalyptic in their, in their worldview of what's going to happen in the future. And they are a death cult because they view the solution to the world's problems as the elimination of an enormous number of human beings. Mm. From his perspective, the idea that people should have freedom to live their own lives is, just makes no sense to him because he's someone who right from his birth and his entire, throughout his entire life, he's been bred in this idea that he is superior, that there is a superior class of people. He's essentially a throwback to the, the era of empires and kings that we left behind a couple of hundred years ago. Yeah. And he believes that the world would be a better place if everyone just did as they were told. He's, you know, he's like Karl Marx. He's like any of these sorts of people. And so what we have here is a throwback from the past who is trying in sort of the death throes of, of his worldview is trying to reinvigorate it and rebirth it through the World Economic Forum and it getting its claws into lots of corporates, et cetera. And of course, there's lots of other rich and powerful people who quite like this idea that they are superior, that they should get to make all the decisions on our behalf and we really should just suck it up and do as we're told. So that's what we're up against. And I'm just so encouraged by the fact that he's feeling the heat and he's sitting there thinking, oh no, I might not get what I want. Hmm. Yeah, it's a great development. It's a good Christmas present for those hmm. who are 
you know, flying the libertarian flag. I, am I a tad ignorant here in suggesting that the Australian government may have shelved their misinformation and disinformation bill? Because my information is that it's been pushed off into next year. Mm. I, I thought that that told me that it was on the nose, but do you think it'll rebound? Well, this is a great story because you were asking earlier about, about submissions to the COVID-19 inquiry, which I agree is probably likely to be a whitewash. But in my opinion, the reason why this was pushed into next year and is likely to get pushed into the never-never is because of the number of submissions. They were overwhelmed by so many tens of thousands of submissions that they were actually embarrassed to release them publicly. They're required to, and they, they've done so slowly in tranches over time. But it was actually embarrassing for them to have to put out into the public all of these submissions that they'd received overwhelmingly in opposition. There were just a handful in support of, of the proposed legislation. And that, I believe, is why they pushed it into next year. Now, let's not forget this isn't the first time that something like this has been attempted. We saw under the, the, the Gillard government a thing called the News Media Council. It was straight out of 1984. It was proposed by the Finkelstein Report, a, a retired judge, uh, who then proposed that this thing ought to be ought to be created. And, uh, of course, Julia Gillard was only too happy to have more control over what we were allowed to say about her and, and about other matters. Now, we fought that tooth and nail and we won that. That was 10 years ago. 10 years later, it comes back. Now, we're fighting that. I think we're going to win this again. But this sort of a battle is never won once and for all. It's not a Hollywood movie. Uh, it, it comes back around 10 years later. And we just need to make sure that we make this sort of idea so toxic that it's, it's a, a fight that is easily won the next time it comes around. We're not on the back foot. We're on the front foot. Yeah. Can I just, just broad, broadly, in, in terms of this infatuation, these, uh, I guess, the keys to the throne, those who hold the keys to various countries have about social media, it's, mm. it, it, it's beating up social media more than its value. Like, I, I, I see social media as something that can't be relied on. I see it as the voice of the people. Mm -hmm. I, I see it as almost... Uh, equivalent to being at the local pub, having a yak about what you think about current affairs, even uh, a talk over the back fence between neighbours. Yeah. You can't take it as truth. It's not a scientific journal, but mm. by the sound of it, every single government wants to treat it like some kind of, kind of record of history. Yeah. Leave it alone and allow us to have our say. They're terrified because it's the democratisation of communication. Now, it used to be with the, the media, you had to get through gatekeepers. If you wanted your story to get told, you had to get through producers and editors and, and yeah. they could knock a story on the head. Yeah. Now, you just have to make a video. And if it resonates with people and enough people say, hey, I agree with that, then all of a sudden, millions of people will know about your That's story, it. know about your opinion. And they're terrified of that, which I think says a lot about them. I think you're right. You've nailed it. And that's what they're scared of. We'll keep up the fight against this misinformation and disinformation censorship thought police bill. Thank you so much, Topher. Fantastic to have you on the program. And uh, we'll be watching Aussie Wire News and also have a look at your book, Good People Break Bad Laws. Thank you very much for your time. Always a pleasure. Thanks for having me. All right. The winner of the Australian Libertarian of the Year Award in 2022, Topher Field. Got to get you some news and then we'll have Sally Grover coming up at the program shortly. And I want to put to Sally the story that I brought you at the beginning of the program from that high school in Seattle and she what, see what she's got to say about the quiz where the student was failed because he was, well, factual. Factual. You can't do that in 2023. Let's take that break on TNT Radio. Real news. Don't get it TNT Radio News.
Matt Boyland here with a look at your TNT headlines. US House Republicans have vowed to hold Hunter Biden in contempt of Congress after he refused to comply with their subpoena, ordering him to testify in a private hearing as part of the House's impeachment investigation into his father. Elon Musk is reportedly opening his own school focused on science, technology, engineering and mathematics. And the US has formally requested military assistance from Australia in response to rising tensions in the Middle East. Don't miss a thing. Be sure to download the TNT radio app from either the Apple App Store or Google Play so you can easily listen live to us anywhere, anytime. Available right now to download. Keeping you up to speed on TNT radio. I want to get you an update from the Australian newspaper, well, courtesy of their reporter, Stephen Rice, on Lisa Wilkinson's appearance at the Bruce Lerman defamation trial. Now, this was supposed to happen yesterday afternoon, but Angus uh, Llewellyn, who was the producer for Channel 10 on the project story that Lisa Wilkinson did, took longer in the witness box than thought. So Lisa Wilkinson's come to the trial today and was under cross-examination. Now, Rice writes that within minutes of her first day under cross-examination, it became obvious that Wilkinson was at pains to distinguish her own role in the program from that of her producers. In a series of tense exchanges with Lehman's barrister, Matthew Richardson, SC, the former host of the project, acknowledged she was concerned by some of the claims made by Brittany Higgins, but had relied on other members of the team to investigate them. Wow hospital pass, making her first appearance in the box, although she has been present in the gallery for every day. Milkinson was confident and articulate, pausing often to think about her answers, but often terse and sometimes combative. At one point after Richardson accused her of being thrilled by the riveting commercial appeal of Higgins's story, she shot back, don't make me sound like a cheap tabloid journalist, Mr. Richardson. That doesn't sound quite right, given that Lisa's work over the years has been with tabloid magazines and also tabloid television. But anyway, Richardson opened by asking her about the fateful Logie speech in which she lauded Higgins for her courage and for never giving up prejudicial comments that caused a three-month delay to the criminal trial. Richardson was unsuccessful in extracting a concession from Wilkinson that people watching would understand her to have meant that she believed what Higgins was saying. I was celebrating her courage, Wilkinson insisted. But just as Richardson was about to move on, Justice Michael Lee moved in. Would you accept that a woman would not be showing unwavering courage if she made a false allegation of rape against an innocent man, he asked. Miss Wilkinson said, yes, I accept that. Justice Lee said, does it not follow that if you say that someone's showing unwavering courage, it means they're making a true allegation of rape against a guilty man? Yes, Wilkinson agreed after a pause. Richardson then took the witness to a transcript of the five-hour pre-interview meeting she and her producer held with Brittany Higgins, during which Higgins claimed all the messages and data from her phone had been lost. Wilkinson acknowledged, I actually can't follow what she's saying here, Mr. Richardson. Did it concern you at the, that point that what she was saying seemed to be fairly incomprehensible? Wilkinson said, yes. That doesn't so sound too much. Uh, he, there has been a falling out, obviously, between Brittany Higgins and Lisa Wilkinson, because it certainly doesn't sound too much like 
the two are on the same page, despite the fact that they're on the same side. Um, I'll get you updates on all of that when they come to hand. Let's return to where I began in this edition today, and I spoke about this outrageous quiz being used by a history teacher at a Seattle high school to teach teenagers in grade 10 about the difference between gender and sex. Uh, women aren't the only ones who can be pregnant, we're hearing, and men aren't the only ones with a penis, according to the teacher. And a male student was marked down accordingly. Let's bring in Sally Grover on this. Sally is a women's rights campaigner, the creator of women's chat site The Giggle, and a former Hollywood scriptwriter. Sally Grover, welcome back to TNT Radio. Thank you so much for having me. This is so cool, this new format, because now I can see you. <laughs> yes, I can see you for the first time. It's yeah, great. I'm usually just talking into my phones. This is lovely. Yeah. yeah, it is. It looks like the woke gender identity culture has not only been pushed into schools, but this could be part of the curriculum. If a history teacher can teach this stuff in an ethnic an ethnic class, where else is it being taught? Well, I mean, oh, it's terrifying, isn't it? Because, you know, you're you're young, someone in authority tells you something, and so you think, well, that must be true. Like a teacher's telling you this, and it's not true at all. I mean, we all know this, but... Gender ideology is in everything. It's in cu the curriculum, it's in institutions, it's in government, it's in law. It's It's been spreading for, you know, so, like you know, over a decade and we're only now, everyone's starting to realise it and the extent of it and the damage that it's been done and it's terrifying and we really have to do everything we can to stop it because it is saying ludicrous things and getting people to believe them. And if you can get people to believe that women have penises and men can get pregnant, you can get them to believe absolutely anything. And so it's disastrous for society as a whole. Like it is literally that serious. Yeah, th these kids are so suggestible at the age in which they're being taught this stuff. And these cases only come to light, Sally, because a parent decides I'm going to ring my local Fox News channel or my local radio station, which is what this woman did, who's anonymous, uh, to alert the media about how her son was treated in this quiz and then with other teachers as well. It is scary to think that what about all the parents who don't want the national coverage, that don't want people like us talking about their family? and how their child was taught in school. And it makes you wonder how much more of this is going on. Without a doubt. I mean, I know from my own experience how hard it is to actually get media attention for this issue. Like back in uh, 2020, when I was first alerted to it, I went to all Australian media going, oh my God, I'm sort of under attack from these men claiming to be women. And no one would speak to me. It took, I think, about 10 months and finally Sky News um, put me on the air. But, and it was a long 10 months of me begging absolutely everyone. And I've got the receipts. I mean, ABC has never, ever responded to an email from me. And this is because mainstream media is is like the rest of society, seemingly sensitive about upsetting minorities. I think they're completely captured by this. I think that um, there's lots of different theories as to why they would be in on this. Um, I think that a lot of the people who believe that this, in this stuff and want it to be true have gone into media. So they're, yeah. they're just, they continue to push it and it's their worldview. It's their, it's their way of being an activist, but having a job at the same time. Um, and this brings me to the importance of your legal case. The now famous Tickle versus Giggle is the first case in the world to legally test what is a woman. Where are we up to with your fundraising? Is it enough to get through all of this? Because uh, 
lawyers aren't cheap. And how's the case shaping? So yeah, lawyers definitely are not cheap, my, but my legal team is brilliant and uh, just worth every penny. Um, so we've raised just over $190,000 so far for what will be um, for federal court $500,000. We've got you know $300,000 left to raise. Um, so gigglecrowdfund.com is where anyone can find out more information about the case and support it. And where it's at um, is so basically we are the first major case in a major court in the world to test what is a woman. Mm. And that is because the Tickle v. Giggle case is, is direct, directly addresses the conflict of gender identity and biological sex. We've got a man who claims to be a woman and a woman who says he's not one and that no man can be a woman. And so it's would the will the law step in and force somebody to believe that a man is a woman? Um, does gender identity supersede sex in law? And the law in our case that um, is under the microscope is the Sex Discrimination Act. So you would think it would just be so obvious that, of course, sex is a discrimination act. But because in 2013 they put gender identity into it, they did, and it was an amendment to put it in there, it's completely muddled the law. And it's not that it's never been caused a problem in the last 10 years. It's caused many, many problems. But we are the first one to actually stand our ground and not give in to it. And are willing to go all the way with it. And so the Australian Human Rights Commission has intervened in our case as amicus curiae. And they say that, they say that a man is a woman. They say that um, human beings can change sex. They say that biological sex uh. is not biological. I mean, it's just, it's complete and utter lies. It's nonsense. Um, and so, I mean, that's basically their legal argument. And our legal argument is- So not- if you win, you create what would be and could be used as an international precedent in this area. Yeah, exactly. So if we win in federal court, it will be a very good precedent that sex um, has substance in the Sex Discrimination Act, that a woman's an adult human female, female spaces and sport are all perfectly fine. If we were to lose in federal court, we would take it to the high court. If we got it to the high court and won there, um, it would um, basically create a very strong suggestion for legislators to actually remove gender identity from the Sex Discrimination Act. And then the ripple effect worldwide, because all of the court cases that are happening with gender ideology do have a ripple effect worldwide. Um, Mm -hmm. And so, you know, it it would help everybody. So, And it would help schools. I know that the UK has still not laid down a proper template in this regard, although schools have been screaming about it from July. How do we deal with this issue? Um, So it would actually sort that area out. And that is the most sensitive area when it comes to transgender identity politics, because we don't want it targeting our children, do we? Without a doubt. I mean, children are being used as pawns, I think, in a really evil game um, to justify these um, nonsensical identities of adults and these very innocent, often very confused children and, and distressed. I mean, I'm not denying that some of these children aren't utterly distressed and they need help, but telling them that they are born in the wrong body and performing unnecessary surgeries on them is not the help that they need. I mean, that no. this should be a non-brainer. No, and th- this brings me to Australia's leading psychology body. It has finally said that gender-affirming care is not a good idea. That is music to our ears, of course, because the experimentation that has been taking place has done so much damage. We're starting to see court cases throughout the United States of those who are encouraged by clinics to uh, transition, and now they're coming back to sue the pants off the clinic and the physician. 
Yeah, I think that it's very clear that the demographic of people who are going to end the capture of gender ideology are detransitioners. And these are people who have transitioned and then realized that it was a, the biggest mistake of their life. And then they want to go after the people who did it to them, which is psychologists, psychiatrists, and um, doctors in general. Um, and so for the in Australia, um, Julie, Dr. Julian Spencer, a psychologist, is one of the first to speak up and say that, you know, just normal just talk therapy of helping these kids and talking them through and and staying in reality is what is needed and she has been punished for that but sort of her bravery of speaking up has encouraged more people to and hopefully it is actually the change that really starts in Australia and that we can protect more young people and older people as well because there are lots of sort of people in their 20s and 30s who are vulnerable and are distressed and have been yeah. caught up in this and they shouldn't be forgotten either but certainly children really do need to be protected it's interesting mr ted has contributed to this conversation on our chat box on tntradio.live and mr ted says to know or check if they are male or female it's easy just check their chromosomes um, basically, yes, that's what it does come down to. But I mean, you don't even have to do that. I mean, anyone watching us right now, they know which one is female, and which one is male. It is actually <laughs> like the most basic evolutionary skill. And by looking just at somebody, the only thing you can actually tell for sure is someone's biological sex. Like you can't, you can't know for sure what either of our ages are or our religious status, political affiliations, um, economic status, anything. All you can tell for certain is someone's biological sex. Mm. So this ideology is making people question what they can see with their own eyes. Now, you must have had a royal smile on your face when two men took the premiership and the deputy premiership of the Queensland Labor government because it was Shannon Fentiman, Queensland's Minister for Women, um, who, of course, decided that uh, Queensland needed massive gender fluidity, didn't she? Yeah, well, she's the um, the Minister for Women who brought self-ID laws into Queensland That's right. um, and has been vying to be sort of the leader of the state um, for a while now. I think quite clear that that's what her goal was. Um, and she has not been picked. And it is quite amazing that it was two men picked over her. And for someone who won't even define what a woman is, she's not going to be able to complain about this. No, no, <laughs> not so in the Labor Party. I'm very happy because when, you know, this is a woman who has refused to meet with me and like countless other Queensland women, like her constituents yeah. about our concerns with the law. And so from my perspective, she's actually just not good at her job. Yeah. Last one. Tell my audience about how the ABC published a story which was celebrating how much a young girl hated her body and she's now pretending to be a boy. What's there to celebrate about that? This, it was so heartbreaking. I think it was yesterday that um, the ABC brought this article out and it was this, this like gorgeous young girl who was saying how much she hates, like, it was told in the first person, how much she hates her body um, and, you know, sort of wants to rip at her own skin. But when she is called a he and when she has a breast binder on, then she can cope and she has moments of what's called gender euphoria, which is sort of a, a made-up term but something that obviously um, has at least the um, illusion of being felt. And you're just reading it going, you know, at no point would you would have thought that the ABC would ever, you know, write 
have, have stories of praise of like, you know, a young girl experiencing anorexia or cutting or any of the other horrible social contagions and really dangerous um, issues that young girls especially do have with their bodies. But here they are, they are celebrating this and, and packaging it to other young people and saying that this is normal. It's not normal. They're, no. they're not boys. These are, these are young girls. And it is so in, insanely irresponsible of the ABC. And I mean, on this issue, they are all in. I mean, like the Australian Human Rights Commission, I mean, government funded agencies in Australia are all in. It's just pitiful. You know, you, 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 you look back and see how the, how the country has changed. And I sound like a terrible conservative here, but you see the changes in culture that are occurring, not just in Australia, but the UK and the United States as well, in areas like that. And you think to yourself, sorry, that's not the world that I choose to live in. I want you to think sensibly, rationally. I want you to think um, nicely about other people and don't force your agenda on me. But all of this is going on before us and no one wants to blow the whistle and call it up. Yeah, I mean, I'm all for like actual progress where it's like making society, something making society better. But this isn't. This is such a regression and it's just nonsense. And the quicker we can get rid of it and actually refocus on 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 making society better and moving society forward will be fantastic and just have a society based in reality and truth and freedom of speech and freedom of belief and you you know they're sort of you can't fail with those principles but yeah with this it's we're failing every day the longer keep at it keep at it which is why i uh, insist on grabbing you to get on the program as often as possible sally grover thank you very much for your time Thank you so much. Have a great Christmas. Yeah, same to you too. Merry Christmas to you, Sally. Thank you. Yeah, the creator of women's chat site, The Giggle, a former Hollywood scriptwriter and women's rights campaigner, Sally Grover, who's had a big, big year in terms of expressing her opinions in the on these issues, whether it's trans, transgender uh, identity politics or some of the women's rights forums that she's appeared in right around the country. It's been a big 2023, and we're very, very thankful that she... Uh, gives us some of the time here on uh, this program. Got to take a break and quite happy to take your calls. You should know the numbers by now. If you don't, I'll tell you, from the United States or Canada, it's one 888 from the UK, 033-0024-1026. And from Australia and New Zealand, one 800 670 310. This is Chris Smith on TNT Radio. De-weaponizing weather with reality and perspective. Well, they're wrapping up the climate conference. And I got to tell you, folks, if these people do what they say they're going to do and what they're going to try to do, the world is in a lot of trouble. I have never seen such a gathering of sanctimonious know-nothings in my life. It makes what happens at the UN, which by the way is part of this, just go out of control. It's like it's on steroids. The biggest hypocrisy is claiming that you're going to do all this for the children of the world, your children and grandchildren. First of all, you are going to subject them to nothing but energy poverty the rest of their life. Secondly, most of these people that are supporting all this fossil fuel ending also support the termination of human life depending on what a mother wants to do. Now, I'm not going to get into the fact that this is a person's choice. I'm strongly pro-life. But what I am going to say is 
When you come out and say to me, I need to save the climate to save the children, and then you advocate for policies that won't even let those children be born, what does that say about what is inside of you? I want you to think about that because there's a common thread in all of this. This is TNT Climate and Weather Watchdog meteorologist Joe Bastardi asking you to enjoy the weather. It's the only weather you've got. There are 16 million children struggling with hunger in America. That's one in five daughters, sons, neighbors, and classmates who don't know where their next meal is coming from. Yet billions of pounds of good food go to waste every year. It's time we do something about it. Feeding America is a nationwide network of food banks that helps provide meals to millions of kids and families in need. Visit feedingamerica.org to help them feed even more. Together, we can solve hunger. Together, we're Feeding America. This is The Chris Smith Show on today's News Talk, TNT Radio. So many people are having a debate on our chat box, which you can participate in on tntradio.live about chromosomes. Um, but it's a whole lot more than that. This is about whether someone wants to be another gender, and if they decide that they want to be another gender, they should be allowed to be another gender. It's pathetic. It is pathetic PC woke crap. And the problem is Sally Grover, you know, raises this money, 195000 Now she needs a half a million dollars to get through. She takes this bloke on. It couldn't give a damn. He's using public money, um, as in legal aid. Um, they go through and have their court case. And who's to say that the judge doesn't go with the woke side and think that you can be a woman if you feel like it and you can be a man if you feel like it? And damn whether you uh, should be stopped from taking all the entitlements of the other sex. That's how weird such a process could become when it's supposed to be the judiciary. Um, one of my mates, Jack, has just sent me something which is interesting. There's a number plate for sale in New South Wales. It's a black and white number plate, a New South Wales number plate, and it's I as in one, I, just, that's it, the number plate. That's a very special number plate. How much do you think they're bidding for a number plate like that? Now, I've seen number plates um, that have cost 600000 up to a million dollars sometimes, depending on what's on it. So what would you think someone would be prepared to pay for a number plate like this? Just one or I. I don't think it's one. I think it's I. The current bid is $10,005,000. $10,005,000 for a number plate. They are not for real. Someone's trying to find a way to get rid of some money, I think. Um, given what we've been through with COVID-19, you've got to be really, really careful when you read a story or find out about a story that relates to big pharma making a lot more money than what they normally would. And so I caught my, my eye was caught by a story in the UK Telegraph about two hours before I came to air. Now, it's a very simple story. You probably don't think too much in it, but I do because it's where big pharma can make a mozza. And I'm just questioning the science as we should have done more of during COVID-19. This is out of the UK Telegraph. Two million people will be advised to boost their statin dose 
So if you're taking 80 milligrams, you've got to take 160 in order to slash their cholesterol levels under new National Health Service targets. Hmm. The National Institute of Health and Care Excellence said the guidance could mean 145,000 fewer heart attacks, strokes, and other cardiac incidents in the next decade. Now, I wonder whether that's true and whether it's based on science. For the first time, the group has set specific cholesterol targets for those who have already suffered a cardiovascular event, such as a heart attack or stroke. Well, hang on a minute. There have been rules in place already about the amount of statins you take given the condition of your heart. You go to your GP, he looks in his big book. I've had it done to me. You need, because you've got that much cholesterol in your blood, you need that particular level of statin. Why does it all of a sudden, why are the rules changed all of a sudden? GPs will be told to offer higher doses to such patients during their checkups. Until now, the group has only called for such patients to aim for at least a 40% reduction in non-high-density lipoprotein, that's non-HDL cholesterol. Under the new guidance, some 2 million people already taking statins, there's big money for big pharma in this, will be advised to take heavier doses or prescribed additional drugs, including injections, to cut their risk. Now, I reckon if we started to drill a little bit deeper on this story, we might find maybe, call me cynical, but a lack of science and a lack of medical science on why you would all of a sudden up the dose on statins. I don't know. Maybe I'm reading too much into it, but that seems a little bit ordinary to me. If you're an Apple user, you might want to listen to this. Apple is going to introduce a new security mode for your iPhone that can protect you when thieves or other attackers learn your private passcode. The feature, Stolen Device Protection, creates a second layer of security, making it harder for thieves to use the passcode to create mischief when the user's phone is not at home or, or at work. If the phone is at a location that is not usually associated with its owner, that's interesting, um, and stolen device protection is turned on, the device will require Apple's Face ID facial recognition in addition to a passcode for users to perform sensitive actions, such as viewing stored passwords or wiping the phone. It also adds a delay when changing the user's Apple ID password. The new feature comes after the Wall Street Journal identified a scam in which attackers befriend or spy on their victims and get them to reveal their passcode, sometimes by asking to see a photo. This is how they get in. Uh, once you have created some degree of trust and faith in someone online, they can ask you to do anything. And all of a sudden you think it's legitimate. Well, don't think it's legitimate, but at least Apple is out there for you Apple users to try and help you get through. Now, as I mentioned a little earlier, Usman Kawaja, who's a test cricket batsman for Australia, has opened up today about his frustration at the International Cricket Council's rule, which prevents him from wearing a humanitarian message of peace in reference to the war in Palestine. Kawaja wore shoes with the slogans, freedom is a human right. 
and all eyes, sorry, all lives are equal at the Australian team's training session on Tuesday and plan to wear them during the first test against Pakistan. Now, the ICC have been quite renowned for not allowing cricket players to carry slogans onto the ground, to carry messages on their uh, wrists, to have anything that might you know, be political. They don't want sports people to do such a thing. And I think it's a pretty good rule. And you've got to be hard and fast about a rule like that. There's no in between. There's no, oh, you can put it on your boots, but you can't put it on your shirt or your bat. No, no, no. You've got to be hard and fast. You either have it or you don't have it. And they've agreed to not have it. Now, Kawaja was told he can't have it because you've breached the rules of the ICC. And no doubt he was threatened with suspension if he decided to wear the shoes. Well, he decided to go out and bat today without the shoes. Thankfully, it's all calmed down. And thankfully for Usman Khawaja, he has got the publicity he wished for and he has shown his public support for the Palestinians, which I think is what he uh, was aiming to do. Now, he said it was a humanitarian message. Well, you can't have a humanitarian message for Palestinian people and not have a humanitarian message for those who were killed in those horrific Hamas attacks on October 7. You can't have one without the other. And that's been the problem with a lot of this protesting. Anyway, I'll leave Usman Khawaja to get a century and just stick to sport. I've got to get out of here. Dean Mackin is up next. This is Chris Smith on TNT Radio. Listener.